The Curse of Oak Island. This is a treasure hunt, 225 years in the making, when a re-excavation of what was thought to be the first dig site, now dubbed the Money Pit back in 1795. Oak Island is an odd question mark shaped island off the shores of Nova Scotia, Canada. According to legend, seven men must die before the curse is lifted and the treasure can be found. I think we're up to six, so we're getting there. Actually, seven, okay. but we'll talk about that. And speaking of money pit, you might want to, you can stop by my house, but. <laughs> there are several money pits here in Missouri <laughs> we'd like to interest you in, but. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. The story received national exposure in January of 1965 when Reader's Digest first published an article on this bizarre story. Now, there's many legends, and while no one for sure can know without a shadow of a doubt who dug that original money pit hole, nor what secrets and treasures it may hold, there are a lot of speculations. The first could be the plunder of Captain Kidd, who was hanged for piracy back in 1701. A second... The booty of Blackbeard and Henry Morgan, both notorious buccaneer pirates. Thirdly, the French crown jewels of Marie Antoinette, lost when she fled her homeland during the French Revolution. Still yet, number four, a popular theory could be Shakespeare's missing manuscripts. I, I find that one kind of interesting. I mean, what Why? would be the point? Yeah. Why? <laughs> and then it's buried under all of the salt water for all these years. If there was one pinhole leak, uh, yeah, we just yeah, lost all you'd, that. You'd ruin it all. Yeah, we got some mush. But there's even more. Another possibility could be the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we're talking true Indiana Jones stuff there. And lastly, but certainly not least, we have the story that seems to go across many genres, and that is it's something to do with the Freemasons. Well, yeah, Freemasons. Like, well, any any mystery, the Freemasons seems to be there. It's kind of like Jesse James. He he robbed every bank in every state within one minute of each other. I mean, that, he got around. <laughs> well, the Freemasons definitely, yeah, they're, they're here too. Uh, but the weird part is every one of these theories have some proven historical merit, making any of them at least possibly possible. Now, this whole story... I've got to be honest, this is one I brought to Bill back probably years ago. We've talked about it numerous times, and, and I know it captures your imagination. I, There's something about this story that just doesn't stick with me for some I, reason. I know this is not really up Bill's, Bill's alley, but this goes back, It this is near and dear to my heart, because it actually goes back to when I was like in elementary school, and we had Scholastic Book Club. And to this day, I still can't find the book it was in. It was a generic uh, kind of treasure hunt book that I had gotten, but there was an entire chapter dedicated to Oak Island. The treasure of Oak Island, I think was the name of the chapter that, at that that's time. That's usually how it gets mentioned, the treasure of Oak Island or the curse, like yeah, you said. I, maybe the curse kind of came along later. 
There's definitely the TV series that's out now on uh, History Channel, The Curse of Oak Island, which is doing quite well. I believe actually this week it drops its uh, eighth season. Yes, it's been on for a while. Uh, which, of course, I love. I, I watch every one of those. <laughs> I've never seen one. But that original Scholastic book just pulled me into this story. And seriously, I was overjoyed eight years ago when I saw <laughs> that they were going to do a TV series. And I looked over at my wife and she looked at me and she's like, why are you, you're like giggly as a schoolboy. And I'm like, you have no idea. This is, this is one of my childhood stories I grew up with. But the tale first starts back in 1795. There was a 16-year-old Daniel McGinnis, and he had made his way to the island doing a fishing expedition. Once on the island, he had found a clearing uh, in front of an old oak tree. Now, that tree had barred strange marks and uh, unnatural scarring up and around the limbs. And he noticed when he looked up, there was a ship's block and tackle. Now, this would be something that would be used for hoisting heavy loads on and off of ships still hanging there in the tree. And he thought maybe the weird marks was due to ropes and stuff and using lowering something at the base of this tree, where obviously there was about a 16-foot diameter that had sunken. So there had been a pit there at the tree. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it starts, the story starts with the pit. Yeah. So. Now, who dug the pit? How long has it had been there? Nobody really knows. But that's 17, 90, 95, 96 time frame. Now, the next day, Daniel McGinnis returned to the site, accompanied by two of his friends, an Anthony Vaughn and a John Smith. Now, John Smith goes on and takes this even steps further down in history. But the young men were equipped with picks and shovels, and they began digging, backbreaking, and they were making progress. Now, don't get me wrong, as much as three young men with picks and shovels could. <laughs> uh, but they had dug down about four foot and hit a layer of flagstones. Yep. Now, these were removed. And they revealed a layer packed with logs. They stated at three meters, also another layer of logs at six, and another layer of logs at nine meters. For people that don't use meters, that's about three foot per meter. Three so. foot per meter, roughly, yes. That's a good-sized hole for, for three uh, young lads yeah, digging with picks, picks, and, picks shovels. and shovels. That's, that's back-breaking labor. I would definitely have a heart attack before then. <laughs> uh, but they had vowed, you know, there was definitely something going on here. And... Uh, they were going to return and finish their treasure hunt. Now, didn't they eventually give up on this due to a superstitious dread is, is the phrase I heard? They did give up. Uh, superstitious dread was definitely a, a part <laughs> of it, but there was a lot of reasons. Money, obviously, and time was, was another deal. Yeah, you'd definitely be investing a lot of time digging a big old hole. And I'm sure, I mean... Uh, these guys probably had other things they were supposed to be doing, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure they didn't go out there every day, 24-7. Uh, actually, before they really got off on their endeavors, nine years would pass uh, that I found before they returned. And they found the dig site exactly the way it was when they left it. And I thought that was a little odd that somebody hadn't saw a fresh dug hole, you know, kind of deal. Well, it, it is. Um, like you said, it's, it's an island, about 140-acre private island now. Just offshore, so, I mean, back in those days, it wasn't easily accessible, I don't think. I know they eventually built roads and, and, and whatnot to get to it, but at and that point in time. The, the money pit, as it would known, uh, become known, uh, you know, wasn't right on the coastal beach. It was yeah. a little ways in. But uh, anyhow, nine years later, they returned, and they've got some financial backing. Uh, this time, they had acquired a friend, a gentleman by the name of Simon Lenz, I believe is the way you pronounce his last name. 
a local businessman who offered all the financial backing and a significant labor force as well to help dig this. I think that would be the important part. Yeah. Well, the new endeavor dug deeper, finding, yet again, more oak platforms at a depth of 12 meters. Then now that's pushing, getting close to 40 foot. 15.2 meters, that's getting close to 50 foot. And again at 18.2 meters, which is right around the 60 foot. So almost 10 foot increments, if you will. Now, beyond this depth, uh, they also begin to find coconut fiber and a putty. Yeah, and, and traces of charcoal. Charcoal. Now, this putty, some people may ask, this would have been something at that time that would have been used to mend uh, ship's holes to help make it uh, waterproof and stuff. So that's what I mean by the word putty. Well, I'm going to assume that coconut is not native to the, the coast of Canada. That is a very good point, And nowhere near, I might <laughs> add, the coast of Canada. So that started unraveling a little bit. What in the world do we have? Not We're not talking handfuls. We're talking... It sounded like 55-gallon drum equivalents, just piles and piles of this coconut fiber. Uh, so again, more odd things begin to surface uh, at Oak Island. Now, you've got to think, at this point in time, there must be a hoard of pirate's gold or something at the bottom of this thing. Well, you'd have to hope so with the, the work they've already done. there got to be something worth it. They had dug down to like 80 foot. Yeah. I mean, that that is a very substantial depth. Uh, they had found all of these weird layers of oak but in particular, they found at 27.4 meters, right at 90 foot, a strange stone, yeah. not of the area. Yeah, I was going to ask. I, I, with I an inscription to that. Yes. And the inscription, they had to kind of try to figure out exactly what it said, but they deciphered it to say 40 feet below 2 million pounds are buried. Now, I don't care who you are. Uh, if you're a businessman, if you're a poor fisherman... And if you find some weird stone buried at 90 foot depth. On and it tells you you're going to find 2 million pounds. 2 million pounds at another 40 foot. I'm going to find a way to get to 40 foot more, you know. Yeah, well, is it British pounds? Is it pounds of gold? Pounds of gold would be insane. I would assume it'd be British pounds. Yeah, I'm going to assume the value is British pound. Yeah. They returned. And in 1803, they actually had a horse-drawn auger system that was brought in uh, to drill down through some of these platforms that they kept hitting. The first pierced a spruce, not an oak platform, and they got this by when they'd pull the auger bit up and they would find wood chips and everything. But after they hit that, there was a big void of an empty space. Now, they cut down even further. 10 centimeters of oak was then removed, and then 59 centimeters of what they described as solid metal. Now, again, what in the world solid metal would be? Yeah, I'd, I'd seen where they had occasionally pulled pieces of metal up in their drilling or digging. Yep. They hit another 22 centimeters of metal and then another 10 centimeters of oak and spruce, almost kind of the, the reverse of what they were doing, and they knew they had hit some sort of a cavity. Now, during that time frame, they pulled up the auger bit and was continually checking that. They believed they had penetrated two chests, wooden, like treasure chests, uh, the one spruce, the one possibly oak. And they also pulled up three links of gold chain on the auger bit itself on the drill. And when you say gold chain, I mean, we reference in like ship's chain or like, like necklace a neck, chain? Like a necklace okay. chain, a high quality gold links of a necklace. Now, again, this is what they begin to envision. They pierced the treasure chest that was in That's this void, like. you know, a hundred foot down. They got really, really excited. And, and who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? <laughs> but uh, they were in shock that after they hit this 
empty void this shaft that they started flooding the entire money pit, as it would be dubbed, with salt water. And that becomes a common theme throughout the, the whole history of the money pit. What treasure hunt could you have without booby traps? And that exactly is what is believed that there, whoever, and for whatever reason, dug this pit way back then. And, and I will say this pit may not have been the original entrance. It may have been an exit. It may have been an entrance. There are several beliefs and theories of a very elaborate underground mine cave well, underneath here. There's a, there's a nearby cove that supposedly has the... the I don't even know, like, quote-unquote flood holes yeah, or whatever. The duck works there's, with more of the coconut fiber. Yeah, there's, there's, other, there's other potential holes on the island. I mean, um, you know, one theory that we'll probably get into here in a little bit was the theory is that Oak Island was actually two separate islands, and there is a swamp area that connects the two. One belief is, and they found remnants of old ships where they had sailed possibly the treasure ships in there, and then barricaded the ships and made the islands, two islands, become one, and it's still swamp water today. Uh, some people believe that that's actually the entrance, and the money pit was simply uh, an area that they lowered down supplies and stuff. I mean, like, like you said, it's not a story that grabs me, and so I'm not as familiar with it as you are, but the more we talk about it, this is like... You know, again, we, we talk about our old D&D playing days. And oh, this is, definitely. I mean, you you probably couldn't plan out a better adventure. <laughs> this has some merit. I mean, this is not, I don't think anybody could say, oh, this is just a fluke. This is a, this is all natural. No, there's gold chain a no. hundred foot down. No, and, and it's, it's, it's like it's designed to flood on a regular basis. Yes. And this flood zone, uh, Smith's Cove, I believe, was the cove yeah. you were referencing to that had the coconut fibers and everything. They started understanding that this was indeed booby traps. So they are like, okay, how can we avoid the booby traps? So they went off to a uh, nearby cove, which they called Smith's Cove. And again, they found just hundreds of feet of what I will describe as ductwork made out of stones and rock shoved full of this coconut fibers. Well, it's it's my understanding that they thought they could stop the flooding of the tunnel there and Absolutely. Never, never could. No, never no could. one has ever been able to figure out what it takes to stop the flooding. One of the expeditions built what they call a coffer dam and actually went out in the ocean and built a wall to try to recede that water level back so that it wouldn't get to the coffer or wouldn't get to the ductworks to supply the salt water to activate the booby traps. They couldn't stop it. So yeah. they don't know if this is maybe one spot at one cove and maybe on the other side of the island there's more. Uh, but they did start pulling out these coconut fibers, and they figured out the purpose was that was a filter. And the coconut fibers would allow the water to come through but stop the sand so that it wouldn't plug up the ductwork. So again, sounds good. somebody put some time and thought into this. I mean, some early engineering kind of stuff. They sent one guy actually crawling down through some of the ductwork. You couldn't pay me enough for that. Yeah, who wants to sign up for that job? <laughs> me, me. Um, they found one of the tunnels actually going a distance of 47 meters. And again, as Bill said, we'll put that into feet. That's about 155 feet. So he crawls into the tunnel, 155 feet, and then it dropped quickly uh, at to an elevation. And they noticed several other ductworks connected in that lowering chamber. So again... This is not a natural phenomenon. This yeah. is something that somebody 
somebody spent a lot of time, possibly a decade or more to hide, to bury. Uh, it wasn't something that was hastily buried and we'll come back and get it next week, month, next year. Uh, but I mean, it seems very elaborate. Like, I mean, using the stereotypes of today, I mean, pirates weren't completely uneducated. Right. But still, I mean, this seems like quite a feat of engineering. So now I know Blackbeard was supposedly a very, very smart man. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with Captain Kidd enough to speak on his reputation, but that seems like a lot of work for, for pirates. And again, I, I would use the word an army of labor force. I mean... It seems like you would need a lot of people to pull this off. Um, now, one of the thoughts is that these particular islands did have natural caves. So, essentially, maybe not everything would have to be mined out, uh, but still, to dig holes, back-breaking labor with shovels and picks, 100-foot depth. Yeah, underground, you know, tunneling like dwarves. Literally, like dwarves, yeah, crazy. Well, in 1850, another group, armed with the new information of the flood tunnels, uh, they decided they would return and take a stab at this. And they were going to bypass the floodwaters. Uh, they couldn't stop it. They had tried to do that out on Smith's Cove. And so they had decided uh, they would dig a second tunnel alongside the original and try to avoid hitting the salt water and come up beneath uh, what they believed was this treasure layer, this treasure chamber yeah. that we talked about. At a depth of 33.5 meters, approximately 109 foot, the original shaft was tunneled into they had problems. The diggers were lucky to escape with their lives because the new shaft caved in all around them. This is all starting to become what we would now call the curse of Oak Island. The island just tempts you and tempts you. And it's like, you know, the little apple or carrot dangling out in front of you, but uh, they're and never going to let flooded. you get it. And I think once again, the tunnel flooded at this point. They flooded the tunnel. The that secondary tunnel collapsed all around them. You know, this goes on and on and on through history. About 10 years later, uh, what was known as the Turu Syndicate, uh, that was a group that did the coffer dam that I had mentioned. They went back, they tried to coffer dam and hold all the water, the seawater out. They were feeling pretty lucky about it that uh, at that time frame, again, you got to remember this is like, you know, Civil War time frame, 1860s. They were using putty and different things to try to keep back the seawater, wooden stakes and posts. Uh, they were holding the water back. They felt pretty good. And then immediately a giant storm come through and just like wreaked havoc and tore the wall down and it all flooded again to no avail. Um, and this is kind of where the money pit aspect begins to come in. They lost over $40,000 uh, just on trying to build that coffer dam and then all for naught and one night everything was lost. Later on, they brought in a steam pump and they were trying to pump out the water However, it was filling quicker yeah, than the steam yeah, the pump, pump could keep up with the volume that was coming in. To a point that it actually exploded, <laughs> and it killed a man, actually, when the yeah. steam pump exploded. So there we have at least the first known death. Yeah, I have that I have that documented as the first of six deaths that, that I know. You, now you mentioned seven earlier, but that was the first death. Right, right. Now, again, we skip forward a few years. 1894, Frederick Blair, uh, he comes in. Uh, almost a century after the original dig began, uh, another group was organized, this time by Frederick Blair. He's a Nova Scotia businessman who would spend almost 60 years trying to solve this mystery. Blair and his partners reported to core drilling, and they did all, the, all this by horsepower. Now, uh, was this the expedition that found the, the piece of parchment? 
Uh, yes. Okay. That drug down, and again, Shakespearean manuscripts, possibly. Yeah. And, uh, they again, they'd had some pretty good luck with pulling up the auger drill bit and finding gold coins and everything, but they found a piece of old dated parchment. And I believe it had a Roman numeral of six, if memory serves me correct on it. Well, what I had is uh, it had two letters on it, so V-I or W-I. So it could have been Roman numeral six, mm-hmm. or it could have been part of, of something else. Part maybe. of a W or something. Okay. Crazy stuff. I mean... And <laughs> it was this time that I have documented the second death related. Uh, I guess a worker fell to his death in the, the pit. Okay. All right. And again, we were talking before we went live and started recording the curse that they talk about, not just with the unlock, but with the men's death. There's supposed to be seven deaths uh, before the treasure can be found. And as Bill and I was talking, I mean, this is a 250-year-old endeavor. I don't mean to make this sound lighthearted, but six, seven deaths in a period of 250 years really isn't that exceptional. That's what I was saying as I was going over this. You know, six deaths in a couple hundred years, it doesn't seem... Yeah. You know, it's not killing people left and right. right. It's not but 600 deaths or anything now, like that. Now, I also have that this same group here, they poured a red paint down into the pit just to try to get the idea of, you know, maybe when it would drain out, where is this Where's water this going to? Right. And they found, I think, no less than three possible exits scattered across the island where this paint came out. And again, that could be where the paint was coming out. Obviously, it's where water could be coming in. Yeah. And why they built the coffer dam and it didn't seem to stop. Absolutely. Well, this group continued for quite a while. Uh, they had spent more than $100,000. And again, you got to remember, that's a very substantial amount of money, even in that well, time. Well, yeah, frame. I say, if you adjust for, for you know inflation and all that, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Uh, but Blair himself, uh, this is 40 years in, he never gave up. Uh, personally, he carried on. He secured treasure trove rights to the island for another 40 years, up to 40 years. Uh, he had offered them... Uh, for a share of the findings, you know, anybody that would come in and help dig, uh, he would uh, allow them to do so for a share of whatever that they might find. They had one group in particular I thought was interesting, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, yeah, and he had he'd been involved in investing he, a little he bit. He wanted and invested into this. Um, unfortunately, was not part of the groups that really found any major significance. Um, but all of these endeavors continued to fail, again, part of the curse. And that brings us to 1931. Now, this was the William Chapel and uh, William's son, Mel Chapel. This was kind of the chapel endeavors, if you will. And they were together with uh, another man, Gilbert Hedden, I believe is the way he pronounced his name. Hedden, looks about right. Um, but originally, they had sunk $30,000 into the money pit. Uh, then, of course, the Depression hit, um, which obviously pulled them off and made them quit for a while. Now, Chapel was followed in 1935 by this Gilbert Hidden. Uh, now he was a New Jersey millionaire. He dropped another $100,000 uh, for the endeavors to find the treasures of Oak Island. Hedden uh, even ran a submarine-powered lines uh, from the mainland to drive up high-speed pumps. Uh, he hired a Pennsylvania mining firm uh, to come in and actually try to help stabilize some of the pits so they wouldn't have the cave-ins. Well, this this hadn't also kind of helped to cement the, the connection between Captain Kidd and the, the hole. He had uh, went to England to consult with a Harold T. Wilkins, who was the author of a book, uh, Captain Kidd and His Skeleton Island. Nice. And actually found a link between what they knew of the island, what they had mapped of the island, and a map that had been found in Wilkins' book, book that supposedly 
portrayed where Captain Kidd had buried his treasure. Mm-hmm. So I found that they kind of matched up. Yes. And that was brought up several times in the TV series. Uh, it is a very close resemblance of the shape of the island today. Now, fast forward a few more years. At, at this time, the Frederick Blairs, uh, uh, he actually died in 1851. Oak Island and all of its treasures rights were then acquired by William Chapel. Uh, son. Uh, his name was Mel Chapel. So we got the second generation of the chapels who have now come in. And he, of course, took on his father's expeditions that he had started uh, back in 1931. Uh, now, Mel Chapel spent $25,000 on one excavation. And uh, now that all collapsed and unfortunately quickly became a small lake. Uh, <laughs> so again, it's just plague of curse of curse and one thing after another. At this point in time, the island was starting to get a little bit of publicity, even for the time. Uh, and one of the newspapers reported, is there really a treasure at the bottom of the money pit? Uh, a petroleum engineer, George Green, uh, put it in 1955 time frame. After drilling on Oak Island for a syndicate of Texas oil men, someone went to a lot of trouble to bury something here. And unless he was the greatest practical joker of all time, <laughs> it must have well been worth the effort. Uh, he later went on to say, we've had a lot of intelligent men on this island, but obviously none of them as intelligent as the first man on the island. And again, that kind of goes back to me talking about, you know, the I don't want to say pirates were dumb by any means. They had to be smart to do what they did. But these engineering feats, that's, I think, out of the normal buccaneer yeah, pirates. I, I, uh, I wouldn't attribute that to, skill to levels. pirates. Yeah. Well, in 1959, another very familiar name in the saga, Robert Restall, uh, Restalls, they were from Hamilton, Ontario, Ontario, Canada. Now, Robert was able to acquire some of the lease rights, and he started his own endeavors on the island. He was 59-year-old steel worker. Uh, Restel quit his $150 a week job back in 1959. And again, boys <laughs> and girls, that's, that's pretty good pay for 1959. And he moved to Oak Island with his wife, Mildred, and their sons, Bobby and Ricky, at that time, 24 and age 14. The family built a two-room cabin, literally right beside the money pit. Um, now, which is a carved crater filled with sludge and rotting timbers from multiple failed attempts over the last hundred years, and a small lake, uh, he managed to clear a 47-meter shaft that was sunk originally in the 1930s. He added eight holes, each being eight meters deep, trying to intercept the flood tunnels that foiled the previous searchers. I'd like to say at this point in time, how many holes... Just at this point, you know, in yeah, 1950s. freaking honeycomb. Yeah, the, the, I mean, we're digging holes all over the island. Who knows? What? I mean, maybe they made it worse. Maybe, I mean, come on. At the, very, at the very least, they're softening the integrity. Yeah, at, at some point in time, this whole island's going to collapse on itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, now, to finance his hunt, Restall sold about half of all of his interests, their entire life savings, and dedicated five years of hard labor. He was actually one of the men that was quoted to say, you know, whosoever designed this money pit, that man was one hell of a lot smarter than anyone who's been here since. Now, Robert Restall's endeavors uh, failed quite tragically. Yeah, they. Uh, I think they were trying to, to seal what they thought to be a storm drain in Smith's Cove, is what I have here. One of the big uh, holes yeah. that he had dug off. They yes. dug down about 27 feet. Uh, and it would be August 17th. Restall was overcome with hydrogen sulfide fumes while he was down there. And then... What I have documented is his son went down to try to save him. Mm -hmm. He was also overcome with fumes. They had two other workers with them. Another worker went down. He was overcome with fumes. And yep. finally, the final remaining uh, partner was able to pull them out. 
and that would be three additional deaths attributed to this this curse. Yeah, it hit that family very, very hard. Then we forward to 1971, we have the Triton Alliance. Uh, A treasure hunting group formed three years earlier uh, deepens in on one of the most promising boreholes. Now, these boreholes were the ones that Restall had dug. Uh, They dug that one down to a whopping 70 meters, or 230 feet, to put that into perspective, thereabouts. He sent an underwater camera down, bringing back grainy images, of course, for that time in 1971, quality, uh, of a cavity carved out of bedrock. They found straight corners and edges to help make it plausible that this was not a natural cave formation, but an excavated well, dug shaft. And their, their pictures, I believe, they, they thought they saw what might be treasure chests. Yes. Possible human remains. Yeah, that was creepy. Wooden cribbing and, and tools that might have been used. They actually launched 10 different diving expeditions into that particular borehole. Uh, but alas, not a single piece of treasure was found. Now, 1983, Triton Alliance sues the local treasure seeker, another gentleman that comes up very strongly, uh, Fred Nolan, uh, in the whole Oak Island story, contesting his ownership uh, of seven lots, and they are demanding access to the island's only causeway connecting uh, to be able to bring over equipment, which Nolan was blocking. Now, four years later in court, the courts (laughs) rule uh, uh, Fred Nolan, he can keep the lots, but ordered him to uh, open up the causeways for access. I mean, I I understand I that. I see understand. that. I'm not sure why it took four years yeah. and a lot of money spent. But alas, the costs of the court battles, and maybe this is what Nolan was fishing for, uh, basically, and combined with the 1987 stock market crash, sent Triton packing. Uh, so they yeah. won, but they lost. My like, understanding that Triton collapsed like completely. Yeah. I mean, they just ceased to exist. Just couldn't make it anymore. Now that fast forwards us to the uh, 2014 time frame, and uh, I decided I wasn't going to get into a lot of the TV series, The Curse of Oak Island, although I'm a huge fan. Uh, that's on the History Channel. Uh, in 2014, uh, the gentlemen that are featured there in that show, it's a brother combination, Rick and Marty Lagina. Now, these two gentlemen are from Michigan. Most of the Oak Island inspiration to the historic, uh, History Channel's reality TV shows and their endeavors to excavate and all of their findings throughout the years. Well, they're, they're 50% owners of Oak Island tours. So they make money off Oak Island, whether they find the, the treasure or not. And while they don't get into a lot of their personal finance, which I don't blame them, it is, uh, you know, they've speculated, well, where in the world do these guys get this money? Cause I mean, eight years <laughs> going on, they're dropping some serious cash Rick is uh, actually retired. He's the older brother. He spends a great deal of the time on the island, uh, more so than his younger brother. Uh, Now, Marty, the younger, he spends less time there, but he's still working juggling many companies that he owns himself, including a winery and a wind turbine company. So, yeah, they've they've got some money and they've got some some backing. Um, He is thought alone to be somewhere between $50 and $100 million uh, of value just on his own bank account. The two brothers are not archaeologists in any shape or form, nor do they claim to be. I think that kind of adds a little bit of merit to the, <laughs> to the series because you can see it would be more of like Bill and I riding up on this treasure hunt and be like, no, it's here. We want to dig. Yeah. 
it's not that easy. You know, in Nova Scotia, I guess a lot of the laws are pretty lax. Once you get a, a, a dig permit, it can last for multiple years. It's not like here in the United States per se, where you've got to every year get it renewed. And, and as long as you have a certified archaeologist, which they brought on on the show, uh, just kind of oversee stuff, you can do pretty well whatever you want to do. <laughs> as long as you're not throwing salt water into the swamp water, fresh water, you know, back and forth, that kind of stuff. Now, Bill has alluded to the curse and seven men must die. And we haven't touched on all of them, but we can bring you up to date that there are six known deaths. Yeah. Um, and they have found remains at the bottom of the tunnel. So quite honestly, maybe, I, I, maybe seven, maybe we've already got it. I don't know, but a little bit of, um, little known facts that I wanted to share. Um, and again, I wanted to stress the TV series. I, I'm not diving into a lot of that. I want to invite you guys, if it's something of interest, uh, go down that rabbit hole, binge watch the shows. It, they're very, they're very interesting. Um, they don't, of course, find treasure every week. It's kind of like some of the ghost paranormal shows <laughs> of their time. You got to expect that. Uh, so you find their frustrations and some of their victories. But um, going back to the show, there was one thing I definitely wanted to share. Uh, one of the producers, Matt Chisholm, uh, mysteriously passed away shortly after receiving information on the show about an ancient Masonic map. Well, here we go. The Masons. It was a great-granddaughter of a high-ranking Masonic Lodge member in Nova Scotia had reached out and contacted Matt. Uh, the tip was about a secret Masonic shrine that is said to be located somewhere on the island itself. Now, in that shrine, she mentioned that there was a room that held this particular ancient map that had secrets to Oak Island. Every good treasure story has got to have more sub subplots <laughs> and stories. Now, unfortunately, Matt Chisholm, the producer, mysteriously passed away. Um, Murdered by Masons? Possibly. <laughs> that is one of the, the, the black story theories. But oddly, Mr. Chisholm was found in a praying position down on his knees with his hands clutched. Huh. Now, some of the people who knew him well uh, said that he wasn't a normal practicing religious man. So this That's odd. did seem odd. This also technically would make the island's seventh death, uh, which, according to legend, was crucial that seven men must die before the curse was to be lifted and the treasure could be found. Now, I did see some headlines that had implied that they had discovered something this year, like in the September time frame, maybe some coins or something. I didn't, I didn't, it was hard to piece together because it, it was very vague, and I'm sure they want to save it for their TV show, right, the big right. reveal. But. Well, I can tell you in the past years, they have. They have pulled up treasure. They have found a few loose coins, some brooches, some pins and rings. So they are finding some treasure. Now, it's not all at the money pit. Some of it is out at Smith's Cove, washed up on the beach. Uh, they have found some Masonic Lodge, very unique pieces, very, very old, predating the 1700 time frame where it was discovered. But again, I mean, this particular island in Nova Scotia would be at typical stopping point, if you will, for anyone that would be sailing through the area. So maybe connected, maybe not connected. But um, again, every one of these things that we've brought up with the legends, there's a little bit of history possibly saying, yeah, this could be at least a sprinkle of the truth. 
But back to the Matt Chisholm uh, mysterious death. To this day, now that would have been six years ago, no tribute has come out on the show. You know how a lot of times on TV series, this, yeah. this episode dedicated to, they've never done that. The cast and crew have supposedly uh, signed contracts to not discuss it in any way or form, uh, or that it could plug or pull the plug on the series. Now, could this be an attempt to add to the mystique and, and bring in? I think you viewership? and I know each other well enough. I think it would be a very good ploy yeah. to add more to that mystery. Someone had I did find, and it's very sketchy at best, but some people had put in that they thought that possibly Matt Chisholm had become somewhat of an alcoholic and maybe doing some drugs. So, okay. So maybe they don't want so that they may there. be trying to rip, you know, his, you know, respectful, but, um, it definitely worked regardless of adding to the lure of mystery. Um, several times, some of the producers and the cast have been on talk shows and they've brought it up. And I mean, it's tight lipped. It's it's worse than Disney Lucas kind of <laughs> Star Wars film stuff. Uh, they simply will not talk about it. And again, I can respect the family's wishes uh, if that's the reason. Maybe there's something more. You know, we we may not know. Yeah. But uh, season eight is starting to uh, unroll, and again, there is a lot of more of the story that is presented on the on the TV series. So if you're interested, I invite you to check it out. Well, um, there's a lot of theories as to what's going on there. There's a, a Joe Nickel, and I'm not sure what his background is. I didn't find that. He says there's no treasure at all. This is just a natural phenomenon. I've heard that. Which I think, based on all the evidence to the contrary, this is not a naturally occurring thing. I, I don't think anybody could say this is nothing. You know, is it a treasure trove for buried pirate treasure, uh, Captain Kidd or Blackbeard? The Templars, the Masons, the the Incas even come into the story at some yes. point. Yeah, that was an uh, interesting twist. Seeking to squirrel away lost treasure. Spanish sailors to to hold the treasure of wrecked galleons. Uh, there's there's a very good story of the the French army engineers hiding the treasury of the fortress of Louisbourg. Um, you know, after being attacked, wanting to protect that money, which I understand. Right. And then then you know, are we hiding artifacts there? Is it Marie Antoinette's jewels? The, the Bacon Shakespeare um, texts. Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, the, the Masonics or, uh, Masonic artifacts or, or the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, there, there's a lot of stories about what may be there, and you know, maybe someday we'll know what it is. Well, but. there's another possible side story is whatever was there, somebody else has already found and took it. Yeah, and, and you know, we... We talked where they, they think maybe they'd hit some treasure chests even maybe. And, and I had read at one point in time that they, they they thought they had even dropped the treasure. Like they thought they may have gotten to it and then something happened and it fell even deeper. One of the big collapses underground was when they were digging in that second shaft tunnel. And they said that it shook the entire ground like an earthquake. And yeah. they could hear multiple areas collapsing. So, so who knows? Maybe maybe there's something to find. Maybe there's nothing to find. Maybe there was, and it'll never be found. Who knows? So. Well, this is just yet another example of stories that you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, this is Eric, and I just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for Nightmares on the Lost Highway. That's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in Lebanon, Missouri called Raven's Loft. If you happen to be in the central 
Missouri area, please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast. You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our producer, electronic recording technician. uh, um, He's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.